Section 36 of Edward III by William Parsons Warburton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Fifth Decade, Chapter 2, Internal Affairs of England Till the Death of the King, Part 2. The Commons then proceeded with the work of the session. They petitioned that whereas, considering the evils of the country through so many wars and other causes, the officers now in the king's service are insufficient for so great a charge, the royal council should be strengthened by the addition thereto of ten or twelve bishops, lords, and others to be constantly at hand, and seeing that the king had been, by the private advantage of some nearer his person, and others by their collusion, so impoverished that he had been compelled to charge the commons with subsidy and tallage, notwithstanding the great ransoms of the French and Scotch kings and other prisoners, they therefore prayed him that he would do speedy justice on such as should be found guilty of misappropriating public money. Richard Lyons, a merchant of London and one of the council, was first arraigned. He, fearing his own skin, tried to win over the Prince of Wales by sending him by the river a present of one thousand pounds and a cask, as if it had been a barrel of sturgeon. But the bribe was sent back as it came, and Lyons convicted and sentenced to be imprisoned during the king's pleasure. Lord Latimer was condemned for collusion with Lyons, and the surrender for bribes of fortresses in Brittany. Several others were similarly impeached and convicted, but the last and most obnoxious offender was Alice Perez, against whom a special ordinance was directed, which the helpless king was compelled by his now imperious commons to sign. She had been made an object of public jealousy and dislike by the king's presenting her with the jewels of the late queen, and permitting her to ride through London on a white horse attired as the Lady of the Sun, followed by a great retinue of lords and ladies but the charges now brought against her were of a more serious character. It was stated and proved that she constantly interfered with the due administration of justice, sitting on the bench with the judges, and defending and maintaining false causes everywhere by unlawful means, to get possessions for her own use. And if in any place she was resisted, she went unto the king by whose power being presently helped, whether it was right or wrong, she had her desire. The king therefore ordained that no woman shall do so hereafter, and in particular Alice Perez, under penalty of forfeiting all that Alice Perez can forfeit, and of being banished out of the realm. Edward, Prince of Aquitaine and Wales, had been summoned by these titles to the first Parliament which met after his return from France, he seems, however, to have taken little part in politics before the session of 1376. But in this first great constitutional struggle, in which the commons fairly measured their strength against the feudal nobles, the prince himself, the mirror and type of feudal chivalry, had descended from his vantage ground of birth and privilege, had taken the lead in the noble endeavor to sweep away the abuses and corruptions which had well-nigh ruined his country, and had been repaid by the most unbounded and enthusiastic affection on the part of the people. 
the work of this portion of his life is beyond all question his noblest title to fame though he has been and probably always will be remembered not as the leader of the first great popular movement of reform within the walls of parliament but as the hero of crecy and poitiers the beneficent influence which he exercised is brought out in strong contrast by the reaction of the following session when the duke of lancaster recovered his predominance on the prince's death this event took place in his forty-sixth year at the palace of westminster to which he had removed in order to be at hand when parliament was sitting he was buried in canterbury cathedral where his mailed effigy may still be seen with the royal fleur-de-lis of france carved on the surcoat of his armour the duke of lancaster has not escaped suspicion of an intention to supplant prince richard now heir apparent to the throne richard was at this time but ten years old and the only surviving son of the black prince it is said by the anonymous chronicler who has been so frequently quoted that the duke coming in with his malefactors among the knights in parliament assembled earnestly desired them that they associated with the lords and barons would deliberate who after the death of the king and the prince's son ought to inherit the realm of england and requested that after the example of france they would make a law that no woman should be heir to the kingdom for he considered the old age of the king whom death expected in the gates and the youth of the prince's son and etc had this proposal been adopted the duke by the exclusion of the female offspring of his elder brother lionel who died without male issue in 1368, would have stood next in succession to Prince Richard. And the chronicler probably only expresses the feeling of the time when he hints that the life of that young prince would not have stood long in the way. But his ambition to be the first of a royal dynasty was not destined to be gratified, though by a singular irony of events, within a few months of his own death, his son was seated upon Richard's throne. The commons not only refused to entertain his request, but took the significant step of requesting that the boy prince should be presented to Parliament, in order that the lords and commons might see and honour him as the heir apparent to the crown. At Christmas 1377, King Edward formally invested his grandson his successor. Of the other matters which occupied the attention of the good Parliament, many were curious or interesting. They petitioned, it must be remembered that petition was then the basis of all legislation, that Parliaments should, for the correction of errors and falsities, be held annually, that those persons who put on new taxes by their domain authority, thereby accroaching to themselves royal power, should suffer judgment of life members or forfeiture domain authority being that which the lords of manors exercised over the serfs or villains their tenants at will this petition shows that the ancient right or power of taxing this class which the lord undoubtedly possessed or exercised was now openly challenged and regarded as an abuse to be rectified by appeal to parliament they further prayed that whereas the priories alien were filled with Frenchmen, 
who acted the part of spies, all Frenchmen should, while the war lasted, be banished the kingdom. The city of London represented that their ancient franchises were invaded by the residents of foreign brokers in the city. The king answered that if they would put the city under good government, no foreigners should be allowed to act as brokers or sell by retail in London and its suburbs, save his old friends in need, the merchants of the Hanseatic League. Other petitions had reference to the obstructions of the navigation of the Thames and the preservation of the fishery. No less than twelve were directed against the encroachments of the Pope and the drain of English money by his court and his creatures. It was asserted that the taxes raised by the Pope in England amounted to five times the amount of those levied by the king. Aliens living in the sinful city of Avignon held and farmed out English preferments. Aliens who have never seen and never will see their parishes, by which bad Christians, holy church is more destroyed than by all the Jews and Saracens of the world. God gave his sheep to be tended, not to be shaven and shorn. But the good Parliament was no better than its predecessors in abstaining from mischievous interference with trade and contract. The export of woolen yarns for manufacture in Normandy and Lombardy was prohibited, and the cruel and impolitic statute of laborers reenacted with additional aggravations. End of section 36